Hey, Crave, how are y'all? I missed you. I was gone a couple weeks because my wife and I had another baby. Uh, I've already told you a lot. My wife had a baby. I was just kind of there. Um, I, didn't, I didn't have a baby, but it's been good. Not a lot of sleep, but it's been good, and I'm really excited to be back with y'all. And I'm excited about this series, The Gospel And. Uh, we're going to launch it tonight, and then we'll close it next week. So just two weeks uh, in this series called The Gospel And. And we're going to talk about two potentially uh, divisive topics, two things that you may have strong feelings about. Uh, but before we even begin to talk about race tonight, we're going to talk about the gospel because that is the central focus of this series is the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? It has to be something that transforms every part of our life. Now, what I have found is people will often say something like this. Hey, don't talk about something so controversial. Just, hey, just talk about the gospel. Can we just focus on the gospel? Can we get back to the gospel? And to that I would say, if we truly understand the gospel, we realize it impacts every part of our life. It's not just a Sunday thing, right? Like, you know what this is like where you kind of do your own thing for six days and you show up here on Sunday and it's a little bit different. But that's not, that's not a full grasp of the gospel. It's not just about going to heaven when you die. The gospel is far more rich and fulfilling than that. And I would just say to you, Christ follower, believer, brother or sister in Christ, if your only focus is on not going to hell but just making it into heaven when you die, you are missing what God has for you in the gospel in this life. I have a ton of scripture we're going to look at tonight. And we don't have handouts still, which is unfortunate. But if you have a notepad, a journal, a phone, whatever works for you to take notes, what I would encourage you to do is this. At least jot down the references because there's going to be a lot tonight. And go back and read these for yourself later. So the first one is this. It's John 10, 10. This is one of the first verses that I ever learned. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Another translation says that they may have life and life to the full. Now, I don't have to work very hard to convince you of that first part. We can look at the world and see that we have an enemy who is out to steal, kill, and destroy. But we have to grasp that what Jesus is saying in the second half here is not just about going to heaven when you die. He's talking about now that the gospel can transform every part of your life and make it rich and satisfying and full. It's abundant life. So if you come to church on Sunday and you act one way and then you leave here and you're not living out these things we talk about, you need to do some real soul searching to see has the gospel penetrated my heart, changed my soul, and made me more like Christ? You've got to ask that. Now with that as our foundation, we're talking about some racial tension tonight. And here's what I want you to understand. This is nothing new, okay? This is not Kevin trying to be woke or have a hot take because of the things that are happening in our world right now. Guys, racial tensions predate 2020. Racial tensions predate the civil rights movement of the 60s. Racial tensions predate slavery. Racial tension is something you can find all the way back in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the New Testament, we see it everywhere. It's, it's rife with racial tension. And if we look specifically at the Gospels, when Jesus was alive, there's a lot of tension specifically between Jews and Gentiles, and specifically within the Gentiles, Samaritans. Now, I won't bore you with the, with the biblical history that I studied at North Greenville. I found it fascinating, but I will give you the snapshot, which is this. Samaritans 
were considered to be half-breeds because they had Jewish ancestors who had intermarried with the Samaritans, and so they were, to use the Harry Potter parlance, mudbloods, right? Any Harry Potter people? In the, it's, it, that's a safe thing to confess. It's okay. We won't, like, throw rocks at you. It's okay. Samaritans were hated because, hey, you're not a full-blood Jew. And so there was a lot of tension. In fact, most self-respecting Jews, as they would walk to Jerusalem, you can go look at a map of the ancient Near East, they would go around Samaria. Even though it was quicker to go through it, they didn't want to be around that race. And so they would go around. Now, what's funny is if you go and read John chapter 4, where Jesus has this encounter with the woman at the well, he says, I have to go through Samaria. Which is not true. He could have gone around like all the other rabbis, but he went through there because he had a woman he needed to have a conversation with. He had some barriers he needed to break down. A woman, there was some gender roles that needed to be kind of addressed. Uh, There was racial tension that needed to be addressed because she was a Samaritan. And she had a checkered past. And Jesus wasn't scared to step in and have a conversation with this woman. But the Samaritans were hated. And we know that because we see it show up over and over again. Now, I'm going to put a passage up there for you. You can turn there if you choose. You don't have to. We're not going to read it verse by verse. But in Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37, you're going to find the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, probably one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture, right? Luke chapter 10, if you want to turn there. Jesus is asked by, by an individual, who is my neighbor, right? What, what does it mean to love my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells this story, and we all know it, right? We've been hearing it ever since we were in Brookwood Kids. That there's a Jewish man, and we often skip that part. We just oh, there's a man. There's a Jewish man, that's very important, who's walking down this road, and he is attacked, he's beaten, he's robbed, he's left for dead. Then, to put it in modern terms, a pastor comes along, who is also Jewish, sees this guy, and leaves him. Then another guy, let's just say a youth pastor, comes along, sees this guy, a fellow Jew, leaves him. And then a despised Samaritan comes along, sees this man in need, picks him up, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the local inn where he can receive medical treatment, and he pays for it. And so Jesus asks the man who has come to him to say, who is my neighbor? He says, who was the neighbor to this man? And if you're looking at the text in your Bible right now, what you'll notice is that this Jewish man does not even bring himself to say the Samaritan. He just says the one who showed mercy. Because everybody hearing this would have understood the concept Jesus is putting forth is crazy. Jesus is Jewish, talking to a Jewish audience in a very pro-Jewish society, and he's propping up a Samaritan as the hero. Who's the hero? I'm not even going to say Samaritan. I'll just say the one who showed mercy. There was a lot of hate. There was a lot of people who were very bitter towards the Samaritans. And so what Jesus says, when, when, when the man says at the very end of this, you go look, verse 37. He says, the one who showed mercy, Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do the same. We can put that up on the screen. Yeah, go and do likewise. So What I want you to think about is what would it look like for you? This is not an abstract concept for somebody else out there in the world. I'm talking to you. What would it look like for you to love somebody who's different than you? What would it look like for you to care for somebody, to show mercy to somebody who maybe doesn't love or show mercy to you? 
What would it look like if you showed compassion to somebody who had vastly different beliefs, a vastly different worldview, a vastly different culture than you? You see, the Samaritan in this hypothetical story would have known, these Jews hate me, and yet he chose to show love and compassion. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. Here's a newsflash for you. I'm going I'm to blow your minds. You ready for this? Look right here. There are a lot of people out there in this world who don't like you, who don't like the things that you do, whether that's the sports you play or the grades you get or how you dress. There's a lot of people who don't like you. Sorry if that is news breaking for you. We are called to love those people anyway. We are not called to just love people that love us. That's, that's, not, that's not where we're at. Now, why do I say all that? We're living in a very tense time, right? Like, raise your hand if you just think 2020 has been kind of poopy. Can I just say that again? Anybody want to just, yeah. There have been some things that have happened this year that have been kind of rough and are still happening. And one of those things is there's a ton of racial tension. And I know even when I say that, some people in this room go, not really even a problem. I don't know why we're even talking about this. And there are other people in this room who say, this is an incredibly huge issue. Why are we not talking more about this? And so even in those two viewpoints, there's potential for disagreement. There's potential for divisiveness. And some of you maybe were already defensive when you saw what we were talking about tonight. I don't know if I want to lean into that. What I want to challenge you with is to think about how we can engage in conversations with people who maybe disagree with us. Because disagreement too often divides us. And what we, what we tend to do is we demonize those that we disagree with. And we'll paint them in a light that's not fair or accurate. But what it allows us to do is just kind of write them off. Well, hey, because they think this, 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 and this, I don't have to do anything with them. They're dead to me. And you maybe wouldn't say that out loud, but that's how we act. What if we tried to love people well by sitting with them and just hearing them out? One of the values of Brookwood that we, that we say is the dignity of all, that every single person has dignity. One of the best things you can do to show value and worth to somebody is sit and have a conversation with them. Listen, don't just try to talk over them or wait until they stop talking so you can talk, but listen. Find out what their life has been like. Find out their experiences. Engage in civil conversation even if you don't agree with them. Try to understand their point of view. Try to love them well in this way instead of just writing them off as an enemy. What did Jesus say about this? Always a good question, right? We go to Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Uh, I won't read all this. It's behind me. You can see it. Jesus says, hey, you've heard it said you can love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I say... Love your enemy, right? Pray for those who persecute you. And he says, what, what good is it just to love people who love you back? What good is it just to love people who look like you, think like you, dress like you, live like you? No, we are called to be a people of love and compassion across the board. That means the worst person you can think about in your life, you're called to love them. The person who has the most outlandish views and you can't believe, you can't even imagine, how did they arrive at this conclusion? We're called to love them. Not just the people we agree with. Not just the people that we have a lot in common with. We pray for them. What better thing can you do than pray for somebody? If you genuinely believe, man, this person's lost in the woods. I have no idea what they're thinking. Pray for them. Try to have a conversation with them. Engage with them instead of just writing them off. Now, sometimes that means having a hard conversation, right? Sometimes we witness things in our world that are just not right. 
And I'm afraid too often we sit idly by because we don't want to potentially be ostracized, potentially get called out ourselves for the broken things in our life. But guys, when we see things that are broken, we have to speak up. And again, there's a lot of racial tension in our world today. So when we see that, we've got to be willing to speak up. Now, you're probably sitting there going, well, that's easy for you to say. Sure, it's easy for me to sit on this stool on this stage and say that. It's harder to go out here and live it. But we see that even in the Bible. Now, if I asked you, who shaped the church the most after Jesus resurrected and ascended back to heaven? Who, who would you say? Just give me two names. Paul and Peter. Congratulations. That was not a trick question. I know Pastor Perry sometimes asks trick questions from this stage. Not a trick. Paul and Peter. And you would imagine these guys always got along, right? No. We're going to put Galatians 2 up on the screen for you, and I am going to read this to you. This is Paul writing. He says, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. Now, some of the introverts in this room who hate conflict, immediately you're like, that sounds terrible. Sometimes that's what it comes to. I opposed him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore because he was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Even Barnabas was led astray by this hypocrisy. Here's the deal. Peter rolls into town, and he's being real cool with the Gentiles for a minute. Everything's great. But then some other people whose opinion he really cares about show up, and everything changes. Here's what I'm saying to you that maybe you've never thought about. Peter was struggling with some prejudice, with some discrimination, maybe with some racism in his heart. This is Peter, the leader of the 12, right? Can't be. Yeah. And Paul sees this happen, and he doesn't blast him on social media. I know they didn't have social media, okay? I get it. But he doesn't go after him. He doesn't angrily. But he says, I confronted him. I went and had a conversation with him because that's what needed to happen. Is there somebody in your life that when, when you look at your relationship, you realize, Man, maybe we need to have a hard conversation. Maybe there's some things being said that are not appropriate. Maybe there's some things going on that aren't right. And maybe we just need to have a, a tough conversation. Now, I make the point that, that Paul didn't go and just verbally assault Peter. That wouldn't have been right. But we are called to speak the truth in a loving way. That actually comes from something else Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.15. He said, instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Hear me with this. You have to have truth and love balanced. If you're all truth but no love, you become harsh and bitter and legalistic, and nobody wants to listen to what you have to say, even if everything you're saying is true, Right? Like, we know people like this. They're just very, they're aggressive, they're harsh. Nobody likes that. That's not going to be received well. But on the flip side, if you're all love and no truth, everything becomes permissible. There's, there's nothing that's absolute. And I would tell you we see a lot of that in our society today. Where, hey, just do whatever you want. Whatever works for you is good for you. Whatever's good over here is over here. It's great. Truth in love. We don't want to wield truth as a weapon to beat people over the head. You're a sinner. You're going to burn in hell. Ah! Not great, but we also don't want to come up here and go, yeah, everything's okay. We speak the truth in love. Now, I'm going to speak some truth to you for a minute, and I say this, in love. I believe there is some, some brokenness in our community, and it's possible that you have been a part of that brokenness. 
And there's all different types of it. When we see that there's brokenness, we have to confront it. If you just try to sweep it under the rug, nothing's going to change. You have to confront these things head on. And what I would say to you, if you have a close friend, somebody in your small group, a brother or sister in Christ, and you know something's going on, you've got to be willing to have a conversation. Not to be ugly, but to love them well. And when I look at the world, I'm, I'm just going to speak from my experience, what I have seen to kind of come back to our theme for tonight. I've seen some racial brokenness. I've seen racism. I've seen it happen. I got texted a meme today by some of my oldest friends from college. And I'm telling you, he's racist. And I didn't put the guy on blast in the group text in front of the other six guys, but I just messaged him and said, hey, bro, don't love that. Don't, don't appreciate when you send stuff like that. I know you meant it as a joke, but makes me a little uncomfortable. And he received it well. It was fine. We've got to be willing to confront these things. We've got to be willing to understand the beauty of what the gospel tells us. If, if you've got one verse that you take away tonight, I, I hope it's this next one. We'll put it up on the screen. It's Galatians 3. It says that there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, hear me say this. Don't misinterpret this verse and say, oh, there, there's no genders. There, there's no... Not what this verse is saying. If you read the verse before and the verse after it, Paul is talking about we are one in Christ. And what this verse is saying is you're not better or worse because you're male or female. You're not better or worse because in that time they had slaves and free people. You're not better or worse for that. You're not better or worse depending on the color of your skin. And we sit here and we look at that verse and go, hey, absolutely, amen. But do we see this verse actualized in our schools, on our teams, in our jobs, in our homes? Do we treat people different because of the color of their skin? Because according to the gospel, everybody's equal. I've heard old-timey preachers and pastors say that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. You're not better than me, and I'm not better than you. We all stand equal in the eyes of the Father. We've got to get this beautiful verse stuck in our heads so that when we go out into the world and we do see ignorance and we do see people who are a little bit out of line with how they're treating and speaking other people, we can confront that. We've got to be willing to take that on. And, and that comes, really, if you go all the way back to the beginning. Literally, the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. We'll put it up. Genesis one twenty-seven. It's where we get this idea of the Imago Dei, the image of God. It says, God created human beings in his own image. In his image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Every single person is an image bearer of God. That means they inherently have value, dignity, and worth. But now I want, I want to ask a, a kind of a hard question. Does it seem like this is true? When you look at the world today, and I'm asking you, I'm not trying to tell you one thing or the other. I'm asking you to think about when you look at the world and everything that's going on, do you feel like this is true? That everybody's treated fairly and equally? Do you observe all people being valued the same? Now, I would tell you when I look, I do see a lot of things that aren't equal or fair. I think there is classism, if you will. Basically, I have money, you don't, so I'm better than you classism. 
I think there's ageism. You've experienced this. Sometimes you see people look down on you just because you're a kid. Oh, you're just a kid. You don't know anything. That's ageism. Or if you're super rude and ugly and nasty and mean to old people because you don't think they have any value, that's ageism. That's not good either. How about sexism? You ever feel like maybe guys and gals aren't treated quite the same? And racism. I would tell you, I feel like sometimes in this world, I see people not treated the same, and it's because of the color of their skin. And I'm telling you, that's wrong. That's sin. And it shouldn't be hard for us to say, yeah, that's sin. Let's call it what it is and stop shying away. It's prejudice. It's discrimination. It's not right. Now, I asked you, when you look at the whole world, like, do you see people being treated equally? But you can't affect the entire world. I do want to ask you to think about yourself. Don't answer this out loud. Don't raise your hand. I want you to look in your heart for a second. Do you treat everybody equally? Do you value people the same? No matter what they look like. No matter how good at sports they are. No matter how intelligent they may be or how popular they are or their body type or their follower count or the color of their skin. Do you value people equally. If you do not, you may need to have some come to Jesus time with the Holy Spirit and begin to dig in and figure out why that may be. And even as you sit there, you go, no, I don't, I don't have any problem with anybody. Push just a little bit further. I'm almost done, I promise. Do you stand idly by and allow other people to discriminate and show prejudice in your presence? Because if you do, maybe it's time to get off the bench and get in the game and step up and say something. If we don't stand up as Christ followers, as people who believe that everyone has value, if we don't say something, who will? Who will? The church, the capital C church, the bride of Christ, it is given to us to love people well in the name of Jesus. It's not a job that your school can do. It's not a job that the government can do. It's not a job for your neighbor. It's a job for us as Christ followers. We can't just sit around and wait for somebody else to come along and fix what is clearly broken. We have to address these issues when they come up. Now, does anybody know what a syllogism is? I'm going to get some like advanced AP English on you. Syllogism, anybody? I'll be super impressed. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it down a little bit. This is kind of one of those, if A and if B, then C, right? You tracking with me? That's, that's a syllogism. So I'm going to roll this out for you one piece at a time. Here's the first part. Believers must confront sin in our midst, right? Everybody feel pretty good about that? Like anybody want to fight me over that verse? Or that, not that verse, but that statement? Anybody? Anybody? Disagree with that? Okay, I, I feel like we're all on the same page here. Believers, we must confront sin in our midst. Specifically, we see other believers who are living in sin. It's given to us to confront that sin. Okay? Here's statement number two. Racism is sin. Again, I don't anticipate too much pushback on that one. Like, yeah, that's a heart issue. That's someone who is not valuing people equally. It's a sin. So then here's the third statement. Believers must confront racism in our midst. If we see this going on, we speak up. If we see anybody being discriminated against for any reason, we speak up. 
their race, their gender, their socioeconomic status. We speak up. James 4.17 says this, Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. We often think of racism as, excuse me, not racism, that's what we're talking about. We often think of sin as something very active, like we are purposely choosing to sin. But sometimes it's passive. We just sit back and we know what we're supposed to do, but we don't do it. Probably all of us can identify with that. Probably all of us at different times know, I really should do this, but I'm not doing it. Whether it's laziness or fear or shame, whatever, we leave things undone that we're called to do. That's sin. Now, our, our world is broken, y'all. Again, I don't think we have to be convinced of that. It's full of broken people. And I would say to you, I believe the gospel is the one true hope that, that the world needs. It's up to us as image bearers, as the ambassadors of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, to love our neighbor well, to go and love people who don't look like us, think like us, agree with us, to love them well in the name of Jesus. We speak the truth in love. We condemn sin for what it is, sin. And we remember the story of the Good Samaritan who loved somebody who was not like him. We remember Jesus who on the cross as he's being murdered for crimes he did not commit, he forgave those who were killing him. And then we go and do likewise. Now, I told you at the beginning that the gospel is about more than just going to heaven, but for a second I do want to pull back and I want, I want to paint a picture for you of heaven. This comes from the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 7. The Apostle John says this, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, tribe, and people, and language, sitting in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. Guys, that's a beautiful picture of what it's going to be like in the end. People from all over the world, from all different backgrounds, from all different walks of life, from all different race, gathered in the presence of Christ to worship him who is worthy, and he is the only one who is worthy. So, in conclusion, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know the life-transforming power of the gospel, you've got to start there. You've got to start there. Maybe this is your first time with us here tonight, and you're like, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. He can change your life for the better. I've been following Jesus now for, for almost half of my life, and I'm not going to pretend that it's always been easy, but I've never regretted taking up my cross and following him. That's where it's got to start. But it can't just stay there with, okay, well, now I've got my ticket punched to heaven. I'm not going to burn in hell. Awesome. The gospel transforms every part of our lives, the way we deal with our parents, the way we deal with our friends, the way we deal with our enemies, the way we deal with people who don't think like us, look like us, believe like us. The gospel is all-consuming. It has the power to transform. So we live that out, okay? I'm going to pray for you, and you get to go to small group and continue to talk some about this. Let me pray. God, thank you for this group of high school students, and I pray that you would raise them up and use them in powerful ways. I look at our world, God, I look at everything we've seen even just this year, the hurt and the brokenness and the injustice in our world, and I pray, God, that we wouldn't just sit idly by and wait for someone else to fix things, but would you send us as your sons and daughters to love our neighbors well, to point them to you, to show them how your gospel has transformed us. Jesus, how your life, your death, your burial, your resurrection 
is the one hope that we need in this world and for the next. So be with us now as we go, as we discuss. Give us courage and conviction to address what we see in our world, but first in our own hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.